<laughs> Let the record show that I just looked at my son Micah. No, it's good. I, 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 yeah. Okay. I knew where it was. So All right. Okay. <laughs> Trying to stay fresh, you know. Um. Also, because I kind of like the wise. I can move around a little bit. <clears throat> Let's, uh, let's just go to the end of Micah in verse 18, uh, chapter 7, verse 18. Let's sort of read these three verses, really the heart of the book. Um, this book really finishes, finishes strong. So I'm going to read these three verses and then we'll pray and then we'll get into the word. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Father, I pray that you'd open your word to us tonight, that you would um, lead us into green pastures, and that you would lay us down beside the still waters of your word and of your presence, Lord. Thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit on your church, and that when we gather in your name, you are with us. You are here, Lord. And I pray that you would reveal your word to us. We want to do more than just learn some facts. We want to do more than just uh, top off our our Bible knowledge tonight. Uh, Lord, we want to meet with you. We want to draw near to your heart. Uh, Lord, we want to, uh, we even want to be changed, God. We want to be transformed more into the image of Jesus. And I thank you for uh, your word and how it enables us to do that. We yield ourselves to the work of your Holy Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I continue to be um, really blessed and encouraged by, by walking through these prophets in sequence. And I love seeing how ideas get carried from one book to the next, all right? And what I thought, um, what I thought would happen when we went through the prophets is uh, that we would see different facets of who God is in each book, right? But I, but I think something similar, but, but actually kind of the inverse of that has happened. What I think that the minor prophets do for us is we see the same basic truths about God applied to all sorts of different situations. It keeps coming back to the same things about God, right? So we're not learning different things about God. Like, it's not like Obadiah has something to reveal about God that, that Micah doesn't really get. No, they're all saying the same things about God. The same two or three basic things about God. And they are applying those to different historical contexts. They are using different sorts of rhetoric and different sorts of poetry to get those truths across. They're even telling amazing stories like Jonah. Um, and, but it's the same truths, right? And so we're seeing the same truths in, uh, in different contexts, okay? 
So we're not learning new things about God as we go. We're learning the same things about God over and over. And that's what I want to say is really one of the main points of Micah. All right. That the, that the, the things that we need to know about God, the things that the people of God need to know in this book are things that are not new, are things that have been said many times before. And um, what needs to happen is the people actually need to hear those things. Here in the, in the Old Testament sense, all right? So if you remember Obadiah, you know, several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, Obadiah, we were looking at how God uh, was chastising the Edomites for their attitude in the way that he was treating his people, Israel, in allowing, ju- allowing them to be judged and carried off into captivity. And Edom was standing by laughing them, laughing at them as that was happening, and even participating in some of the, some of the destruction, kind of getting in on the, the looting that was going on. And God says, no, no, this is, this is not what we do. You know, I'm the God of the nations, and you are just as subject to my power as, as, as they are. Um, what I'm doing right now is my own business with them. And you're not allowed to stand by and, and, and gloat over your brother in the day of calamity, it says. And then, um, and we, we talked about how it, it kind of reflects the, the many different brother stories that there are in Scripture. Brother against brother. You know, Jacob and Esau is, is a classic example, but it even goes back before that to Cain and Abel. You know, am I my brother's keeper? And God is saying, actually, Yes. In the line of Cain, people, don't, people want to distance themselves from their brother. They don't want to take on a responsibility for the well-being of their brother. He, but, but God says, this is, that's not the way it was designed to work. We were designed to be a family. We were designed to love one another and to be one. And uh, so he's chastising the Edomites. He's saying, but you need to understand the bigger picture. I'm dealing with Israel because I'm reestablishing the way that it's supposed to be. And, um, you know, you all, have, you, you all have judgment awaiting you as well. Jonah is kind of the flip side of that same truth. Right? That God, God can show mercy on who he wants to show mercy. And he can pour judgment on who he sees fit to pour judgment on. And why is it that Jonah doesn't want to go to Assyria? Because he knows who God is. He says, I knew that you were a God... Merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That is the very first thing, one of the very first things the nation of Israel ever even learned about God. Moses was with God up on Mount Sinai, and God was revealing the terms of the covenant to him and the design of the tabernacle. And and Moses says, well, I want to see you. I want to see who you are. And he says, okay, I'm going to pass by you, and you're going to see my glory. He passes by him and he says, he declares his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who will by no means clear, showing faithfulness to a thousand generations, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the God that was revealed in Israel's inception. And it's the God that continues to reveal himself. No, I'm faithful. (laughs) I'm slow to anger, but I'm not going to clear the guilty. I'll keep up with you. I'll bear with you for, for a time. But then it's time for judgment. Then I need to move. Then I need to discipline you. And so Jonah says, I knew that's who you were. God says, yes. Yes, that's who I am. That's who I'll always be. And then it's interesting because 
a book, if we skip over Micah, and we get to Nahum, which we'll be in next week, that's about God's judgment on Assyria. <laughs> it's the book that Jonah wished he could write. <laughs> but it's, it wasn't yet. It wasn't time yet. You know, just like God told Abraham, he said, I'm going to bring you back here in the fourth generation because the iniquity of the Amorites isn't yet complete. The iniquity of the Assyrians, apparently in, in God's sovereign understanding of where they were, the iniquity of the Assyrians wasn't yet complete. And so Jonah was not there to call down fire and brimstone, yet he was there to offer them repentance. Lo and behold, some of them took him up on the offer. And there was a revival in Assyria. But that comes to a close, and a couple generations later, Assyria is punished severely um, for their wickedness and their sin. And so we'll talk about that next week. But that's the same thing. The same thing is being revealed in, in Nahum as was being revealed about God in Jonah. Look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. <laughs> he just keeps... And this is, this is the first and the most basic and the most fundamental truth about who God is. It's what, when Moses said, I really want to know who you are. Who is Yahweh? How do you describe yourself? What's your 120 character bio? You know? And God gives it to him. This is who I am. This is my name. And in Nahum, that book is written to remind the people of Assyria that God will by no means clear the guilty. He won't. And in between Jonah and Nahum, we have this book, Micah. Micah is a classic prophecy. It's a classic book of prophecy where God is pointing out particular sins that have, uh, that have encompassed and, and permeated the society and he's pointing those out, and he's saying, and this is, why, this is why judgment is coming. These are the things that I detest. This is what I see. And um, I'm just going to go through and name those things for you all so you understand that the trial and the hardship and the judgment that you're undergoing is simply the terms of the covenant. It's the terms of the covenant that I made with you a long, long time ago. You shouldn't be surprised. You should not be surprised at what's happening people of Israel, people of Judah. Because this is, what we've all, this is who I've always been, and this is what we've always done. And when the people start to deviate from love and mercy and justice, then the wrath and the judgment and the curse comes on that people. And that's, that's just like one plus one equals two. <clears throat> and so Micah is really made up of three main sections. And they all begin with the word here. And this is a significant Old Testament word. Um, I think probably the most significant place that it's used is in the book of Deuteronomy. Right? Hear, O Israel. Yeah, I think it's what even the word Shema means. That's here. Listen. And it's a significant here. It's not just, hey, let the sound waves hit your ears. It's, it's like here with your whole being. Right? It's like when a dog is a really well-trained dog and he's taken off running and its master says, hey, stop! Or whatever word they use, heal, whatever. And, you know, that dog has heard. 
right? And the dog, that dog then, whatever the word was that went out, there is full hearing. There's a full body hearing that happens. That's what God calls his people to. Hear. Hear me. There's a difference between even listening and hearing. Right? When you heard, when you've heard, it's, it, has, it has changed your course of action. When you've fully heard what, in the way that God wants you to hear. And so the three sections of Micah, chapter 1 and 2, hear you peoples, all of you. Uh, the second section begins in chapter 3. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. And then, uh, so three through five would be the middle section, and then, and then six and seven is the third section. And chapter six begins, hear what the Lord says. Hear what the Lord says. And it's not the only thing, it's not the only thing in this book that throws us back into previous interactions between God and his people. There's a, there's a lengthy section in chapter 6 where he gives a little bit of a history lesson. In verse 4, he says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery, and he kind of gives a little bit of a synopsis of the Old Testament story. This is who I am. This is, this is the journey that began with me saying, hello, how are you? My name is Yahweh. I am slow to anger, rich in love, and uh, I'm faithful to a thousand generations, but I will not, by no means clear the guilty. You know? Welcome to, welcome to covenant life with me. And they've known who he is the whole time. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. And he says, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I am that God that brought you out of Egypt. <coughs> and then verse 8, that's the, this is the verse that everybody knows from Micah. He has told you, O oh man. He has told you. It's like when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, but actually, this isn't a new commandment at all. It's, it's, it's an old one. It's one that you've heard from the beginning. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? That's our good friend Hesed. Steadfast love, mercy, loving kindness, depending on your translation. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. What has always been your end of the bargain? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. I've told you that. I told you that a long, long time ago. In fact, I told you that on our wedding day. I told you that when we got married, when we had this big ceremony. Remember the big flaming mountain and all, all that stuff? This is all that I've ever wanted and all that I've ever required of my people. All right, so every, every minor prophet has a historical context. Uh, Micah luckily gives us, you know, the, the, the little key to that with the names of the kings. That's always, that's always helpful. Um, Micah says, um, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, that's kind of an interesting way of opening a book because he's not, he is, it's listed the Judah kings, but it says that he saw a vision concerning Samaria and Jerusalem, right? He didn't say concerning Israel or concerning Judah, which would have been like, all right, he's after the northern kingdoms or he's after Judah, the southern kingdom. He goes for the capital cities of each and that's really what Micah hones in on is the, the leadership and the kind of the, the, the core of each kingdom, right? I'm not primarily going after you northerners nor you southerners. In fact, I want to, I want to prophesy to what has gone wrong. I want to prophesy to the, to the rotten core of each of you. And I want to reveal to you that at the very center of your society, you've gone wrong. You've gone astray. Right? Samaria and Jerusalem. I mean, that's like the significance of someone saying, I want to prophesy. I want to prophesy about Washington, D.C. You know, we, we, we immediately think like, well, that's us. Like, that's, that's, our, that's our core. You know, that's our, that's our capital. And so this, what, what happens in D.C. involves all of, the, all of the states. And then he says, Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. Um, so he lists the sins, and, and the sins are basically, a, a lot of them revolve around the injustice that has happened. I would say the two big sins that he points out are idolatry and injustice. But he actually even... I think, goes after injustice even more so than idolatry. I think idolatry is implicit, right? Idolatry is the reason why people have become unjust. Um, but he goes after the injustice in society, meaning like the, the wealthy are really oppressing the poor. Basically, the, the people who have power are using their power to bend morality in their favor, right? This is the classic might makes right. Have you heard that might makes right? If, if you're powerful enough to do it, that's your moral code. Um, and Micah comes in to say that this is not how, this is not how God has set up the universe. There's this thing called morality. There's this thing called goodness. And, and God is that. <laughs> and he created a people and expects a people who are good, who don't just take their power and exercise it in the way they want to but who take their power and use it in a way that reflects the character of God. Right? What does he say? Do justice, love mercy, love kindness. See, there were two things going wrong. One is the permissive nature and the idolatry that has crept in, and people saying, trying to shut up the mouths of the prophets who prophesy against them, saying, no, don't prophesy to us. Right, and Micah, Micah goes after these, I think, in, in chapter 2, 2 and 3. He says, your prophets are, you know, they're not holding you to the standard. They are figuring out what your standard is, and they're reinforcing that. Right, if, you, if you want to buy this field, brother, bless you. God is expanding your territory, you know. Because this guy decided to kind of oppress his neighbor out of his field. Kind of creep on him. What's he going to do about it? Right? And the prophets come and say, yes, 
There's a time. It, it, it is time for you to expand your fields. And so there's false prophets. There's false religion. There's a lot. Of, it's, it's, it's a highly religious time. People are doing sacrifices and all this stuff. But none of it is resulting in the kind of lives that, that reflect the character of Yahweh. And so that becomes the problem that Micah is speaking to. Right? Now, Micah's name, everybody know what Micah's name means? Who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? That is the prophetic question that looms over this whole book. And there's, there's two sides of it, right? Who is like Yahweh? Meaning, hey, all these other gods and all these other pagan rulers that you are making deals with during this time, we'll get into that in a little bit, the historical context. These gods that you've devoted yourself to and all of the religion that's involved, none of those are like Yahweh, right? Who is like Yahweh in the heavens? But there's also the question of who is like Yahweh? What, what people are going to reflect who he is? Where are the righteous people? Where are the good people? Who's going to say, oh, we're the people of Yahweh. We should probably act like him. Who's like the Lord? And so Micah comes into a, a pluralistic society, a society with, with, with uh, a relative system of morality and justice. And he comes and he just plants the character of God in the middle of that as this monument to the kind of life that God's calling us to. And he says, who is like Yahweh? Let's compare your gods and let's compare your lifestyles. He's the standard, right? And so he brings the character of God into the midst of this and into pluralism and the, the relativism. And he goes, no, the standard is Yahweh. The standard is God. Who is like God? The question isn't, can I? The question isn't, can I get away with? The question is, who is like Yahweh? Who's going to be like Yahweh? Amen? So Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. This is a crucial time in the history of Israel. Uh, did anyone go back and look up the kings, kind of what was going on during this time? One person. <laughs> That's one, one scholar in the room. Um, so this is the point. Uh, who was it that prophesied to uh, northern Israel? Northern Israel during the time of Jeroboam II. There were a couple, a couple of the prophets. I think Amos and... And Hosea, yeah. Um, that is about the generation prior to this period now. Okay, remember in, in those prophets they're saying to northern Israel, listen, it's going to get really bad. You, you, you're at the tipping point. Assyria is going to come and wipe you out. Okay. At this point, at the point when Micah is prophesying, uh, so Ahaz was king when the northern tribes were uh, finally fell in a, in, a, you know, in a total way to Assyria, okay? And so 
Jotham was actually a good king. He's the son of Uzziah, to give you some historical context. Remember, Isaiah and Micah are kind of parallel. So Uzziah, uh, Isaiah really, Isaiah the prophet gets his call into prophetic ministry in the, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So at the beginning of Jotham's reign is when Hosea, uh, Isaiah, <laughs> Uh, is when Isaiah gets called into, or is when he has his vision. He had been prophesying, but then he sees God. And his, his ministry takes on a, a new turn. Jotham is actually a good king. It says that he's, he's a good king, and uh, however, he did not take down the high places. And there, there's great uh, teachings out there on the high places, how high places are kind of those areas where... Um, it's not like a, 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 a pagan shrine. You know, it would be just a very, like, routine daily kind of activity that was seemingly innocent, you know. It was a way of worshiping. And, you know, uh, anyway, we don't have time to get into that. Um, it says, but that, that was the fault of, of Jotham. That was the only mark on his record. He was a good king, um, and he, he loved God. In fact, let's go to Second Kings, uh, verse 15. 2 Kings chapter 15. Just, you know, hear what I mean, not what I say, please. <laughs> so if you look at the, it's in the end of 2 Kings 15, but if you look kind of previous to that, if your Bible has headings, you see that uh, Pekahiah reigns in Israel and then Pekah, and that's when there's those uh, like really short reigns and it's like a lot of coups. It's very unstable, right? And then, and then the end comes. Jotham reigns in Judah at the end of 2 Kings 15. Um, it says in verse 34, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed, right? The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places, so, and I, I think they may have even been sacrificing and making offerings to God. It just wasn't in the right place, right? And so there's kind of a subtle, there's a subtle idolatry there. There's a subtle self-made aspect to that religion. Oh, yeah, we can make sacrifices, but it's not technically in the way that God has commanded. Um, in those days, it says, the Lord began to send reason the king of Syria, Pekah the son of Ramalia, against Judah. And Isaiah covers that um, in his book, how God uh, has it out with Ahaz. I think I've, I've even preached a sermon on Ahaz, God's interaction with him. Um, how Ahaz was really despicable, but God was really trying to get him to trust him. What God was going after in his heart was that he kept going away to Egypt or going to Assyria for help. And God was saying, oh, if you just lean on me, <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at. So, speaking of Ahaz, he begins his reign, chapter 16. Um, let's read this. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Because um, there were no good kings in Israel. He even burned his son as an offering. According to despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. All right, so there has become no discernible difference between 
the pagan nations and Judah at this point. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the trees and under every green tree. All right, so this is Jotham, Ahaz, but then there's Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is actually a good king. And it's kind of the last gasp, the last gasp of goodness before then Judah begins its, its ultimate. Because then Hezekiah's son Manasseh is the one who seals their fate. Uh, Manasseh is the reason it says that, that, that the exile to Babylon becomes fixed in stone. All right, so Ahaz is bad. Hezekiah is pretty good. There's a lot about Hezekiah between this account. You know, there's an extended account here in 2 Kings, also in, in Chronicles. Uh, but there's also an extended account in Isaiah. So we know a lot about Hezekiah. There was, there was a lot going on. Okay, so the period in which Micah was prophesying was a really pivotal period in the history of Judah. Right? Israel's gone. Oh, my goodness. What's happening? You know, now we're down to just Judah. Uh, Northern Israel falls in the 12th year of Ahaz, all right? And that's in 2 Kings 17. And I want to read some of that because at that point in 2 Kings, the author zooms out and kind of gives some summary thoughts. You know, Israel has been captured. Here's why, okay? And this is a good, this is a good portion of Scripture to know uh, and to come back to often, especially when you're going through the prophets, because it really does boil down the core issues uh, in the divided kingdom and the issues that God had with those kings. In the ninth year of Hosea, this is Second uh, Kings 17, verse 6, the king of Assyria, remember Hosea was the last, the very last king of northern Israel. The king of Assyria captured Samaria, that's the capital city, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Always when, when the biblical author gives a summary of the current state of the people of God, very often it refers back to where it all began. And it did begin with Abraham, right? That's when God chose from a, from a familial standpoint, that's when God chose and, and, and started the family. But from a national standpoint, it started when they were brought out of Egypt and given the law at Mount Sinai. That's when the nation of Israel was birthed as a nation. Uh, he feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs of the, that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. Things that were not right, that were not just, that were not in line with who Yahweh is. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram. So there's the idolatry piece. Yet the Lord, uh, it says, uh, verse 12, and they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer. Right? Well, who were the prophets? They were God's warning cries. Stop, come back. Don't go down that road. Don't touch that stove. <laughs> Turn back. 
Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. They would not hear, right? But were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. This is a great, great lesson in there. You become what you worship. You become what you worship. Okay? Uh, the nature of the God that you worship w- will be the, the kind of lifestyle that you live. If you live a God who's never satisfied and who's constantly you're having to appease them and they do, you, know, you never know how they're going to react, well, that's how you're going to be. <laughs> That's the kind of person you're going to be. You're going to be unappeasable. And Paul even says it. People who, there's no pleasing them. They're ruthless. They're heartless. You can't, you know, there's, you can't ever get through to them. That's the kind of people, that, that's because we serve gods that are like that. Right? If you serve a god who's false, you become false. But again, that gets us back to our question, who's like Yahweh? If you actually worship Yahweh, you become like Yahweh, and your life reflects it. When you worship him, and you don't, just, you don't just pay superficial homage to him in the midst of serving your other gods, then your life isn't going to be full of hypocrisy, like it has become for the people that Micah is speaking to. And they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. Uh, in verse 19, it says, Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God. So this is, this is really where Micah comes in. Micah says, all right, yes, northern Israel, gone. And he's here to tell Judah, you have to watch out. You are not far behind. Your brothers to the north. You are not far behind. You need to hear. You need to see what's going on and wake up and realize that the same fate is is coming your way. Uh, Back in Micah, in chapter 1, he says... For this I will lament and wail, in verse 8, I will go stripped and naked, which is what Isaiah did, by the way. So apparently God had two stripped and naked prophets walking around in those days. It was a whole, a whole team of them. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches, for her wound is incurable. It has come to Judah, and it has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. This cancer that invaded the kingdoms to the north it is spreading, and it has spread to the south. And it's, it's, it's at the gates. Back in verse 5, he says, All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Jerusalem 
has become nothing more than another high place. Jerusalem itself, this is a bad thing. Right? This is the holy city. This is where we meet with God. This is where God comes down to dwell in the midst of his people. And it has become a high place. All right. Um, Hezekiah actually has, you know, he has it out with God in a, in a couple. He, he makes some reforms. He celebrates a, a Passover, which is good, because what's a Passover? It's a remembrance of when they were brought out of Egypt. You know, and so that's, that's a great thing that Hezekiah did. He was getting the people to remember who you are, remember who God is. And uh, so Hezekiah was trying, and I wanted to read uh, some, some of the things that it said about Hezekiah in 2 Kings. Um, chapter 18. In the third year of Hosea, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. It says in verse 3, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places. Yes. Those high places, they, if you read, remember reading through Kings, they're, just, they're always there. Somewhere to get rid of the high places. Come on. And he broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now this is interesting. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now, what in the world is happening here? This, so Hezekiah did something that was very interesting. So apparently the people, remember the bronze serpent in Numbers? that The people had taken that and it had become some sort of religious object to them. And it was kind of this, uh, this kind of holy, uh, this holy artifact. And Hezekiah, I mean, this is kind of a classic iconoclast thing to do. You know, he's getting rid of everything. He says, and you know what? Even that, even that pole, it's become a dead piece of, of religious artifact. Get rid of that too. Yeah, they've given it a name, Nehushtan. We bring Nehushtan. Get rid of Nehushtan. Right? Because what he's calling people back to the pure covenant. Let's follow God in the way that he prescribed. He didn't say, you know, worship at this bronze pole. We, we were the ones that made that into a shrine. Let's, let's take everything out. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. It's pretty good. Right? There was no one like, I mean, who is like Yahweh? Well, Hezekiah got, got pretty close. Second Kings would, would say. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Right? The ones that, the, the commandments that they, they've had for a long, long time. Hezekiah, what was, what was good about him? He called people back. To the roots. He said, let's follow Moses. Let's get rid of everything that we've heaped on top of this, everything that, that we've sort of added to it according to the customs of the pagans around us. Let's get back to the basics. Let's celebrate the Passover. Let's remember that it's him who brought us out of Egypt, and this is who we need to be in this place. Unfortunately, 
he was able to withstand the Assyrians, right? And it was because of Hezekiah's righteousness and his dependence on God and his trust in God that God miraculously protected them from the Assyrians. I mean, the Assyrians were wiping everybody out. There's one place that says that God took care of about 185,000 of them. Just boom. In one day. And the Assyrians were like, I think we're done. I think we're going to make the border here. You know, you guys can have, you can have that land. All right? He did justice. He loved mercy. But then he didn't walk humbly with his God. Because after there's a period of peace, then these Babylonians come in. Right? And remember, it's Hezekiah who lets the Babylonians see the treasury and the temple at the end of Isaiah 39, which is the end of the first part of the book. And then there's silence, and then there's post-exile <laughs> at the end, you know, the future. Um, but he's the one that introduces the Babylonian threat. Because he's proud of, he wants to just kind of show off. You know, look at, look at the church. They're looking pretty nice these days. And so, you, but... You know, if you let your enemies see your treasury and, you know, your capital city, then they know exactly how much power you have to withstand an invasion. Right? And so the Babylonians were like, all right, we got the data. Let's go back to Babylon and, and wait, for the, wait for the right time. All right, so that is, I don't know, that, that all helps me whenever, whenever I read a, a prophet like Micah. It helps me understand, like, this is, this is a crucial time. This is like a pivotal point. It's one of the hinge points in Israel's history. The reign of Hezekiah was very significant, right? It was God dealing with the Assyrians, but then (laughs) allowing the Babylonians to come in behind them. And now the Babylonians become Israel's or or Judah's threat and the people that that God is using to take them into exile. And we know the end of the story. In a few generations they too are going to fall in the same way, except to the Babylonians. But here in Micah, we're right in between the two. And God is saying, it's going to happen to you too, if you don't turn. But the other thing that we see in Micah, and this is what I love about Micah, and we'll, we'll try and end, try and wrap up here, is that in each of the three sections, each section concludes with a very Isaiah-like prophecy of, of the future. And in fact, the, the predominant image here in each of the sections of hope that concludes each of the, the sections of judgment is that God is going to come and shepherd his people. Right? And each, there's four sections, there's four primary sections where it talks about the coming, the, the mercy and the hope, even after the destruction, even after the punishment, the hope on the other side of that. At the end of chapter 2, it says, uh, verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men who opens up the breach, goes up before them and break through and pass the gate. Their king passes on before them, Yahweh at their head, the Lord at their head. So the idea of Yahweh coming and being the shepherd of his people and gathering them in together as, as his sheep. At the end of chapter 5, it says, verse 10, And in that day, declares the Lord, 
Uh, nope, not not there. Uh, where is it? Oh, in chapter 4, sorry. Um, verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, Hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. Uh, that's, after, that's right after the great section where it's, it's repeated from Isaiah 2, um, where it says, that in the last days the mountain of the Lord will be lifted up and all the nations will come to it. That great vision of, of who we are as the people of God. Um, and then at the end of chapter 7, in verse 14, it says, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land, and let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. So God is the shepherd. God as the one who led them out of Egypt. This is who he is. This is who he was. This is who he's always going to be. I am the one who comes down in the midst of my people. I gather them together and I lead them. And I, I lead them into the promised land. This is, this is who God has always been. And Micah is saying, and there's still a day. This is who God will always be. It's who you've always known him to be. It's who he wants you to, to uh, acknowledge him as now. And it's who he's going to be even after the destruction has passed by. All right. So some, some applications. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I think those two, the, those first two, always have to be mentioned in the same breath. When, when God makes us like himself, he makes us full of justice and righteousness, and he also makes us full of compassion and kindness. And I think people generally fall into one of two camps. <laughs> it's... Justice and righteousness, or compassion and kindness. And those two people are kind of at odds with each other. Well, who is like Yahweh? He wants us to be full of both. Right? And so you might be someone who is, you've become really passionate about what is right and what is just. And that's great. But do you also love mercy? Right? Because it says that. God is, he is righteous and he does justice, but he loves mercy. Right? Who, who he is in his downtime, you know, he's merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. God wants to show mercy. That's what he yearns for. 
because he's just and righteous, he will punish. He will bring judgment. For what he loves, and this is, I think, what, what John really gets at, at the core of who God is, is love. This idea of love. This idea of laying down one's life. Micah prophesies the coming end days and there's going to be, one of the things that's going to mark those days is there's going to be a pardoning from iniquity. There's going to be a forgiving of sins. Isaiah also proclaims the same thing. That there's going to be a new day and it's going to be one where God is able both to judge and forgive sins. Because they can't, they have to be dealt with but he's also going to forgive them. Remember at the end he said, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Remember in Psalm 2? It says his wrath is quickly kindled. But steadfast love is forever. Right? If you oppose him, if you break the covenant, you need to be scared. You need to be terrified. And in fact, next week in, in Nahum, we're going to talk about the wrath of God and the judgment of God and what needs to be done with sin and what the destiny is for anything and everything and everyone that is sinful. Right? You will by no means clear the guilty. But it says he delights in steadfast love. But on the other side of it, you can err on, no, 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 we, we can't, we, we, it's all, it needs to be all mercy, all love, all compassion. And he says, listen, <laughs> you're like those prophets who, you know, you, you prophesy what people want to hear. You just want to, anything to preserve feeling good about each other and feeling good about life. Even if that life stinks to high heaven. Even if that life is an offense to the holiness of God, let's not, let's not use those kinds of words, okay? Let's use softer words, right? Let's not say wicked. Let's not say sin, right? Let's not say sinner. Those are hard words. Those are harsh words. We need to use those carefully. God says, yes, use them carefully for sin and wickedness. Call it out. Who's like, who is like God? Who's going, to set the, who's going to take the stand? Who's going to say, this is wrong? This is clearly wrong. It's always been wrong. And so justice is what we do. Justice is what we do. Mercy is what we love. Do justice. You have to stick to the plan. You have to uphold the standard. But when you do justice and you don't love mercy, then might makes right. Then, then you become like the oppressors that the Lord hates. Right? They did justice. Well, this belongs to me because I can play the system and I can get what I want. When you're oversold on doing justice, you become unjust when it's not 
done from a heart of loving mercy. Does that make sense, that balance? And you know who you are. You know the way you fall. <laughs> you know if you're an over, overly merciful person or an overly just person. But both come down to walking humbly with God. The source of either of them is found in walking humbly with God. When you walk humbly with God, you're not like Jonah, right? When God wants to be merciful to someone, you're on board. Yes. Even if you can't even, you, in, 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 no, in no frame of, you have no frame of reference for that person deserving any kind of mercy. God decides to be merciful. When you walk humbly with God, you go along with it. See, Jonah was proud. Jonah was, was self-centered. Jonah wanted, Jonah really believed that he deserved mercy, which by definition, mercy is undeserved. You never deserve mercy. But when you walk humbly with God also, you're not, you're not afraid of, of offending people. By, by declaring what's right, by doing justice. And you don't do it in a way that's, that's oppressive, right? But you do it because you know it's right and you want to honor God and you want to call people to honor God. And it also gets down to trust. You know, do you trust that... Like when Hezekiah said he held fast to, to Moses. <laughs> and so he could, he could initiate some reforms that really a lot of people probably pushed back on. But he was walking humbly with God. And it was changing the shape of the nation. Because it says he trusted in God. He trusted. He, he clung to him. So do you walk humbly with God? Is Jesus your shepherd? You know, do you have that kind of walk? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What does it say? He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's justice. For his name's sake. Right? When, you, when you're walking with Jesus the shepherd, he'll lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Right? But he's full of graciousness and provision. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even when I'm taking a stand for righteousness and I find myself in a den of lions, I won't be afraid. Because you're with me and your rod and your staff comfort me. But this is the kind of walk with God that Micah is calling his people back to. Get back to the Lord is my shepherd. Get back to the Lord as my shepherd. Um, There's one other thing I think that, that we should uh, consider in our own lives. You know, Micah was calling them. He says, he, he has told you, oh man. He has told you. I already said it. You've already known it for a long time. And so that might be the challenge that Micah issues to you. Are you wrestling with living in a certain way 
that's contrary to what God's already told you. You know, and what, what I think this book would say to you, if, if, if you're in that spot, is that you need to hear. You need to hear. You need to understand that, listen, the way your life is going, God, God uses everything in our lives to shape us into the image of Jesus. We can either work with that or we can work against it. His goal, he has told you, O man, O woman, that he is going to stop at nothing to make you like Jesus. If you've said yes to Jesus, he will stop at nothing to make you like Jesus. He'll make you feel bad. He'll make you feel good. He'll bring pain into your life. And he'll give you the grace to endure that pain. But he's, he wants to make you into the image of Jesus. And so we need to hear and remember. Did you forget that God uses everything in your life that happens from the... The minute you wake up to the minute you sleep and even while you sleep, that he uses everything in your life if you will receive it to make you more into the image of Jesus. He uses every annoyance. He uses every difficult person. He uses every test of your patience. He uses every loud noise that you can't stand to make you more into the image of Jesus. Here. Remember that. I think that some of us need to remember that. He saved you. Why? So that you could be like him. And in the areas that you're not like him, he's going to come after them, full of grace and full of justice. And he's going to remind you, oh man, what he requires of you. If there's an area of your life where you don't do justice, where you don't love mercy... He's going to come and remind you. So my challenge to you is to ask yourself, is there something that you've known about God for a very long time that hasn't actually changed your life yet? Because they knew who who Yahweh was, but they weren't like him. Right? Their society was not godlike. It was godless. It was pagan. It was no different than any other life, except that they liked to call themselves the people of Yahweh. Is there something about who God is that you've known for a very long time that has not taken root in your life and changed you to be more like him? You know he, say, you know he hates sin, but maybe you don't really hate sin. Or maybe you don't hate all sin. You only hate certain sins. You know that he should, you should trust him. You know that he's trustworthy, but you don't really trust him. It doesn't really bring peace to your heart. You know that he wants your whole heart. Your whole life. But you're not really ready for that yet over here in this area. But he's told you. You've known it. You know who he is. You know who he was about. You know what he's after. 
How are you going to hear it? Are you going to allow the shepherd to come and lead you? You keep holding back, living the life, living your life the way that you think you should live, the way that you think is right. He's going to pop his righteousness right down in the middle and say, no, this is who I am. And this is what I'm after. Are you going to hear? Are you going to let it change you? Amen?